Hey everyone, it's Richard Pullman. I'm back again, and you know I, I try to get interviews every now and then, and, and keep the podcast going, keep it updated. Uh, if you're interested in getting on the show, uh, you can go ahead and email me at gdgpullman at gmail dot com. That's gdgpullman at gmail dot com, and no underscores or dashes or anything there, just all together. And, uh, you know, let's talk about your game. You can be a published author. You can be somebody who's just starting. You could be some uh, wacko who is trying to troll me. But uh, we'll find out when we get to talking. And, uh, and I'm always interested in meeting new people, seeing what they have to say. And in this episode, we're going to be talking with Everett Smith, who created a science fiction game called Uplifts. Now, what I will say is that uh, I hope the audio is good all the way through. I, I tried my best to equalize it. There was a little bit of sound problems along the way, and I think I got it pretty much smoothed out. Uh, apologies if it's not perfect, but it should be definitely listenable. And uh, depending on wherever you, know, you listen to this podcast, uh, I would encourage you to just subscribe, uh, You know, give it a rating, uh, high or low. I just ratings are, you know, something that I could use. Um, just so that I know how people feel about it. Any feedback you want to give, give it on the platform, um, and spread the word if you enjoy this. You know, uh, I'll be updating by uploading more old episodes to the podcast because I only have a couple of the oldest episodes uh, up available right now. So I'm going to be uploading more of the original episodes to catch up with the newer ones. And eventually we'll close that gap and they'll all be available. And in the meantime, I'm trying to set up a couple more interviews and uh, yeah, let's, let's keep this thing going. So let's talk with Everett Smith about his game Uplifts. All right, so I'm here with Everett Smith, who's the creator of Uplifts, the RPG. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Pullman. Uh, Actually, Uplift, heirs to the future. Very important, very important. Uplifts, heirs to the future. Uh, it's yeah, on, I couldn't tell for you. <laughs> it's, uh, it's on Drive-Thru RPG. Um, it's, it's already for sale, which is great. Um, you're already in an enviable position there. And, uh, you know, from what I was looking at, it, uh, it boasts a couple of things that I found interesting that I'm going to have to ask about, like having multiple planets that serve as different types of settings, uh, sort of baked into the, the core story of it. And it's a sci-fi, you know, adventure, uh, you know, I guess the tone even changes depending on what the, the planet is that you're on is that right yeah yeah well you know yeah actually totally um you know it's uh it's because you know this is a setting it's about animal people it's about uh you know or what they call in sci-fi term uplifts you know when you take an animal and you make it a at least have the cognitive abilities of a human and upright stance and all that and um 
So they're anthropomorphized and they're, uh, you get to play as those animal hybrid people or whatever. Yeah. Well, you can also play as, you know, humans and robots too. I thought that was, that, that was very inclusive for those uh, demographics, you know. Right. And a hundred percent of people being humans, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta throw people bones sometimes. Well, on your, uh, on your page here, I'm seeing it says 30 unique playable species. From serpents to sloths, and from monkeys to mechs. And I thought I think that's a pretty yeah. good that's a pretty good way of putting it. Yes, you gotta you gotta have that alliteration. <laughs> and, uh, sloth was a uh, well, it was it was a suggestion. I was like, eh, you know, I, I actually uh, was coming up with a uh, ten by ten table, you know, that you roll two d tens to get, and I was like, eh, I've still got a little. I need some more species to kind of fill out this grid. <laughs> and one of them said, well, what about sloths? And I'm like, well, no one said not to get sloths, so, you know, I typed up some rules for those guys. I was no gonna one ask... has actually played a sloth, I'll tell you that. I would, that would be the first one I, I play as because I'm the type of person who always tries to pick whatever seems uh, the most, you know, unoptimized. I always want to test out the sort of niche... Uh, you know, gimmick character. And so I tend to make my, my first character I make in any system is usually highly gimmicky or, or offbeat. So, cause I just love to see where the system, what the system does with, uh, something like that. So, I mean, I feel free to explain, um, what sort of the mechanical backbone of it is, or, you know, if it's sort of derived from a system people might be familiar with in terms of how, you know, mechanics resolve or anything like that well like me and uh well unfortunately yeah actually most people will understand this if you play the system i play i've played uh most of my gaming career has been playing riffs and palladium systems okay and um like most people i learned it from a guy that got out of the chino prison apparently (laughs) over there there is just just this complete library of riffs books and they have the time and you know they have the time to learn the system down there <laughs> and um, so i i think then then i play but you know i never really liked the sci-fi rpgs too much or sorry no i like the sci-fi rpgs it's the fancy fancy rpgs and they're really quite uh dug right um really rigid there's never really rules like okay well why do I? Why, what if I just shoot this thing in the head? It's like there's no rules for shooting it in the head, and it's um. So. A lot of it is a little bit like rifts in that you know you have, rolling to avoid damage. You have uh, pulled punch rules. You hmm. have kind of this weird and and that that is also where you get that whole mashup of, different genres and different themes kind of all, collectively into one thing. And, um, you know, and, and I, I checked with the, I checked with many mental health institutions and apparently that is not a disability that I can file for, <laughs> but it's got a little bit of the rift side on the upside. I do, I tried to make the stat system and, you know, a conflict resolution system a bit faster, you know, and that's, uh, basically I thought that. You know, I think that's kind of the thing is that in the, the market right now, um, the biggest hindrance I've heard for people getting into RPGs is that there's 
like useless stats, depending on what you choose. Oh yeah. You know, and so I wanted to devise a system where every stat has a use. So. Yeah, I'm seeing you know, here. On your page, I'm seeing it says that you have three stats. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're the thing, it's kind of a trade-off, and this is something that I was pointing out uh, recently, is that, you know, it's a derivative stat system. So if you have a stat, can mean multiple things. Like strength is both, you know, what you would say would be strength and then constitution, in that it adds to your hit points, and then it also adds to how much you damage you do and lift and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, uh, climbing, too. Um, you know, and then you've got agility. Before, it was called speed, and uh, people thought that, eh, in testing, people kind of thought that agility worked uh, a little bit better, a bit broader. Right. And so that's like, that's your uh, precision in terms of being thrown, you know, how your run speed, you know, your parry, you know, a little bit of your reaction thing. Now, there is one, there is some controversies in this system. Uh-oh. You know, that kind of came up. Um, oh, nothing. No, no, this is this is controversy in the most puerile, nerdiest <laughs> way. Right. Uh, in that initiative is determined entirely by the third stat, and that's mind. And mind is kind of the hidden broken one, you know? Right, okay. Add to your skill rolls, gives you initiative, and, you know, allows you to have uh, perception checks. And the thing is that one of the things I discovered, you know, that I discovered when making all the species for this, is that, well, as, as you know, a lot of animals have higher than normal perceptions. Mm-hmm. Than humans, you know. Right. I mean, outside of the whole full spectrum color thing, the stamina meme and all that, you know, uh, animals have kind of like this really specialized niche thing. So then I just said, okay, fine, you know. And then it's like, oh, hey, guess what? Yeah, did you know that a bear has a better sense of smell than a bloodhound? Oh, okay. Hey, do you know that a uh, a horse can sleep half? I mean, only has to sleep like maybe a few hours, but then sleeps the rest standing up. And you're getting all these weird uh, special abilities in each of them. So as these, as I start fleshing out these animal races, perception and bonuses to these perceptions kind of became this bigger and bigger superpower. Like we'd have a, right. um, in the testing. And we did a lot of testing. And, you know, and first it was just kind of to test the system and stuff. But eventually it just kind of became for fun. And maybe, you know, testing out the system a little bit. But it's like... You roll a dog character, and the dog character, you know, it's like it kind of niches you into this bounty hunter role because it's like, oh, yeah, you got to find this guy, find this thing. Right. Character finds this, and then he rolls to find it within a 1,000 feet before he has to re-roll again. And it's like, oh, okay. And then it's, so it's like, you know, you get this character that rolls so high, he's like, I found the guy. Where is he? Two states in that direction, <laughs> you know. Well, that's what it's, it's, I'm, I'm trying to picture myself designing, you know, what you're describing as a sci-fi, you know, animal sort of based, uh, selection of species to pick from and all of that. And I, I gotta say, I'd probably just dumb down the idea, create sort of small, uh, you know, little bonuses, but I, I doubt I would try to, you know, be 
respectful to the the quirks of every species. Uh, so the fact that you seem to be running with that is very interesting. Well, you know, I, I thought it was very interesting, and I thought it was uh, kind of something that I couldn't really not put in. You know, um, excuse me, I, I've uh, been trying to kick the kick the soda habit, so I'm mixing seltzer and those uh, little powder drinks. <laughs> it works out pretty well. But, um, you know, and the thing is, is that it became kind of this weird, weird little race, uh, over the playthrough. And this is something I discovered only that is that you got like this animal ability side, you know, and that's one thing. And then you have like traditional guns, armor and stuff like that. And that's like the third player in this race. And then you've got, you know, the cybernetics and biological warfare. And, you know, I've, I've also got these weird alien things called parasites. Because apparently there's another weird niche in the animal world, or at least in the in, aqua, in the aquatic animal world, is that some parasites for these snails, they have these little things, and these little parasites will just jump out and bite things that threaten the snail. Hmm. And I was like, dude, that's pretty weird. So and, you got uh, like a little built-in sidekick? Kind of oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like... It's like a dog that was a that's kind of like surgically implanted into your stomach. <laughs> when something comes near, it jumps out and you know. Um, but it's like you know that's kind of one of the things that went with this RPG is that if it was weird, you know, I was like, dude, let's 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 try putting that in. Do you have fish anyway. people? Oh no! Well, the, when in the early versions I did, but I I took them out. Uh, in a exp or in a splat I'm working on now, there is a holy, uh, well, you know, it's those, uh, water or mud puppies, I think they're called, or mud dogs, the oxels. I've got family in Mexico. And, um, you know, and I was looking up rare animals in Mexico, cause, you know, uh, they were kinda in, uh, howler monkey territory. Sure. And I, and I, and I was asking, like, have you seen a howler monkey? And they're like, no, everyone around here probably ate them. You know, <laughs> and, uh, so then I found the, that whole quoxel thing. And, uh, like every party, I'm always late to it, but it's like, oh, hey, it's those little, little salamanders with the frills on the neck. I was like, hey, you know, for this next splat, I'm going to put those in, you know, because they'll sound pretty cool. Is there an aquatic yeah. element to that? Is that related to the, to the fish idea? Or? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, actually, it's because because they're completely aquatic. Oh, so, okay. But at the same time, that is another thing where, as you were saying, to inhibit it or uh, kind of lower that stuff down is that there there's some things like amphibians. Um, so I've got salamanders and frogs in this thing, and so it's like technically they're not actually uh, salamanders and frogs don't really do that well if they're just marching around in any environment. Mm -hmm. so we kind of we kind of ignore that, you know. But we're kind of we kind of ignore the fact that, uh, you know, if you have a sentient frog or salamander person, if you just throw a bag of salt, um, <laughs> they are just going to just going to mess up, mess up people. But um, you know that that's something I kind of I, I kind of ignore. That is another thing with this book is that uh, I kind of leave out and I kind of intentionally don't say things because I know that's kind of bait for the standard 
table chatter. Well, yeah. You know, and I kind of want to say is that, is that, you know, if I don't say it, then I'm both saying that's possible and not saying that it's not possible. I was going to say so, that if you're going to go down that, yeah, I was going to say if you're going to go down that road, you'd probably want to, uh, add in a bunch of trade-offs for like a mech. Like you'd want there to be oil spills and maintenance required and you'd have to, you'd have to create logical downsides to having mechs because if you're going to have, um, you know, slots be, be terrible stamina and speed and have very few oh, yeah, advantages. It, it, you, what is it holding back a mech? I mean, you'd think they would just stomp all the animals with a mech. Oh yeah. Yeah. Actually, uh, yeah, that, that actually came up a lot. And mostly it's the in combat mechs have a lot of strength and they got, you know, just this high level of armor. Um, I tried to dumb down the whole, uh, maintenance thing by just saying that to restore HP, you need, you know, so much money. And you need to find, you know, obviously, uh, a mechanic, you know, has at least six or better. Uh, or, well, I say you need a mechanic and it takes, and it takes, um, I think it's 1,000 hit point, or 1,000 bucks per hit point. Hmm. You know. And, uh, keep in mind that this is, this, uh, system, it, it tries to cut through the quick uh, on a lot of things, and I thought, you know, the excess maintenance and stuff, I mean, I, I love that stuff. But at the same time, you know, being in risks, that comes up. And But uh, when I've ever seen that in playing other games, I'd look around and see, you know, the other guys just being bored to tears, you know, while this other guy is just talking about... You know, maintenance and hydraulics and, and, and hydraulics, and it's like, uh, nice. I'm gonna skip it. Yeah, no, I'm just I gonna say, okay. I'm gonna spend this much to restore, you know, this much HP. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's only really So yeah, uh, the, the big idea here, no, what, what I'm getting is that it's it's the idea of sci-fi as mashup of pretty much anything. Like it's. You're not trying to recreate a particular, you know, episode of Star Trek. You're trying to sort of go with the sort of the golden age of sci-fi where you just never know what to expect. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And th that's another thing, um, a personal dig of mine. Sorry, I uh, hit a button there. Um, is that... You know, in sci-fi, a lot of uh, space shows, it's like a lot of what's important is only M-class planets. You know, it's like, oh, well, you know, there's a lot of things in space that's very interesting, like rocks and moons and more rocks and gases and stuff like that. And uh, so that's why I kind of wanted uh, this system to be within, like, just a few planets and then have things like space stations and stuff like that, and uh, say that these things are important, too, that you can... I don't know if that's... I suppose many people with everybody in quarantine like this, I, I think you can appreciate that, yeah, you know, you can have adventures, you know, in your little little pocket of the galaxy. You know, you don't have to drive to Alpha... You don't have to drive to the next M-class atmosphere for there to be something. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Do you want to describe what these three planets are and 
and sort of, you know, is it, that, I assume that's a major part of the pitch of the game is getting to know these three yeah. planets. Are, are they not distinct, uh, sort of pre, pre-planned, uh, settings? Uh, well, yeah, yeah, they're kind of pre-planned, yeah, they're pre-planned settings. Uh, I tried to describe as best, best as it is. Also, thank you for finally asking that. I've been sitting on that since our, this interview started. Um, but you know, uh, thing is that when I was uh, looking at all this and it's like in sci-fi, you always have like, you know, uh, your primitive setting, which is, it's weird, but it happens. Uh, then you have your kind of modern setting, near future setting, and then you've got your super future setting, you know, or your future future setting. And I, and I, I thought that, you know, hey, let's have all three of those things, you know, because eh, that those what you're going to have. Yeah. And, um, so. And you yeah, can travel between those really. as a, as one party. You're not, it's not that you choose at the start of the game which one you're on and then that's your campaign. It's you, theoretically, you get off the planet and can go travel somewhere else. Is it, um, it's entirely up to the GM. You know, um, with me, I, as a GM, I kind of like to have just these big roving tours of, uh, whatever map we've got. It's like, okay, do an adventure here. Okay. Hey, everybody, you just got a call to, uh, Logos. Let's go down there. All right. You know, then $90,000 in, uh, travel fees and, you know, three months later, they're back there and they're over there, you know. Uh, but yeah. Okay. So in the planet settings, uh, first off, POW, and that's the splat I'm currently working on. And working on it for a while because I kind of got a little burnout there. You know, but it's like, eh. You know, I'm kind of getting a little bit of artistic thing too where it's like, eh, it's just not right. You know, nah. you know, um, but that's basically a primitive world. And there's many reasons for why it's primitive. And that's one of the reasons is that there's a, well, there's no, there, there wasn't any iron, not very much iron. You know, sure, and uh, and that that kind of just hamstrung a lot of their long-term progression. But also, you know, well, in this setting, there's um, there's also like you know, well, who made these animal people? It's like humans, and humans have evolved, and they're very mysterious, and they don't really show up at all. But their servants do, or you know, they kind of made these uh, homunculi like uh, race to kind of do the janitorial work, make sure, you know, press the button, make sure the machines keep working. <laughs> right. And one of the things is that Powell has been kind of designated as this planet to keep primitive. And uh, this was actually born from some research, because, um, uh, you know, uh, living in the Northwest, uh, I had a few teachers, you know, actually he was he was called the town Cyclops. But, um, you know, giant man, one eye. Uh, but he, he, uh, was a historian and he made everyone else who took his class be a historian. And one of the things is that I found out that Native Americans, they weren't, they didn't really, a lot of primitive tribes, they have very complex social systems. And, but they don't really have a lot of technology, technological advancement because they didn't have metal. So I was like, you know, it'd be kind of cool to have in a setting where you've got these uh, tribes that have this kind of complex social system. It's like, you know, what if uh, humans were like, you know, hey, let's try to recreate that, you know, trying to 
recreate or trying to have a, a social structure advancement uh, before, you know, industrial evolution and so, all that. So we're talking about and, a an an a engine, planet. A, a society that comes to this planet and decides to engineer this race of of primitive people. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know that, that that's supposed to be part of the deep lore. It's kind of because I didn't really care about being because I kind of wanted to be obtuse, and so I kind of wrote it nat- naturally. But spelled out in the back of the book is that this is kind of all done as uh, kind of this as humanity has grown and progressed. It's kind of forgotten a lot. It's gotten a lot of species have died, a lot of knowledge has died. So it's like okay, let's try to. Let's try to run a simulation or try to make a recreation of these things. But, you know, we don't really want to wait around 60,000 years for the, to recreate human society. <laughs> so let's just, you know, let, let's, let's just have all the animals and the people be mixed up and I'm trying to just urge and placate them along. It's kind of like an abandoned yeah. experiment or something like that. Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't know about abandoned, but yeah, yeah, pretty much abandoned. But, uh, so it's kind of this thing. That's another thing is that, um, cause I've, uh, I was a big, I was really big into Eclipse Phase. And that's one, and that's an RPG that explores a lot of, uh, post-humanism. Sure. And that's like, okay, well, post-humanism is what happens when, you know, you pretty much have, Let's say you've eliminated hunger or any sort of biological need. You know, what, what do you need? What's uh, your need then? Yeah. And that kind of, and that, that, that suddenly you've got this Star Trek high minded stuff. Like, you know, um, do people need to worship things? Do, if uh, someone doesn't have any biological needs and feels no pain and all that, does he need him to be worshiped by something else? You know, and it's like, oh, okay. And that, that kind of started the idea of, you know, what if they decided to make, you know, a bunch of this little civilization simulation thing. Sure. Anyway, sure. but that's, that's, that's just Planet Pal. Yeah, you know, that's the backstory um, of one of these planets. And um, you also, I, I'm seeing here, you have the modern, uh, but you say the description, I'm just reading off the, the drive through RPG yeah, page. Yeah. Modern but turbulent planet of EO. Yeah, and yeah, the, that's not as good as I kind of got high on the high on the horse there, and I decided, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Well, the three the three basic arguments are ethos, pathos, and logos. So you've got <laughs> pow, uh, eo, and logo. I I like yeah, that. I um, and, and I, I kind of based each planet based off that, and that pathos is emotions, you know. And so you've got this, um, you've got uh, everything there is kind of done or is kind of motivated out of passion. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, why do we have all these primitive people here living here? You know, and why do we have this caretaking race that kind of hangs around them, you know, uh, pretending to be kind of servants of gods to make sure that they don't develop guns and slaughter each other. And it's <laughs> like, and someone feels very strongly about it. You know, and then uh, EO is ethos, and it's like, well, that's the planet of ethics, and that that kind of works into uh, the planet there too. In that, you know, because um, I think that a modern setting, 
appeals to most people. Uh, if you have too much of a sci-fi setting, it feels a little disconnect, and people kind of say, well, you know, they they it's like, eh, you really, in a modern setting, it saves you a lot of things. You know, it's like, well, how much does a cell phone cost? It's like, well, I don't know how much does a cell phone cost around here. You know, uh, you can cut to the quick on things like that. Yeah, you sure. Know, you can approach more modern stories. But, uh, you know, and then you've got city-states in this uh in this thing. And I hate to say it, but, uh, I, I, okay, like everyone that's gone to, you know, GDG or, uh, the, the forum that we go to. Sure. Uh, I, I go to CEO and, uh, or on 4chan and there they make, we make up a bunch of stupid deep lore about <laughs> SWAT vaults and Hanna-Barbera, you know, trying to unite it all into this thing. And uh if you watch the Scoop movie, you know, that kind of, they kind of get in on that action, too. But uh one of those things is that, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, Swat Cats, Mega Cat City. It's like this, it's like this pre-futuristic, uh you know, Mega City from Judge Dredd and stuff, where everyone's either in this weird police military, you know, outside is kind of a barren wasteland. You know, the sky, even at the broad middle of the day, has these big black streaks of it, very 90s and all that. And it's like, you know, eh, okay, you know, throw some of that in there. So, you know, you've got these various city-states with the various backgrounds. You know, but even then, there's each one, you know, I tried to, you know, uh, instill uh, basically this kind of code of ethics right. with each one. So I'm, yeah. I'm hearing that this is sort of a dystopic future, but near-future sort of... Uh... A concept with probably a lot of, you know, middle space in between where you could, where a, a person running the game could create any number of, uh, you know, little cities or well, something like about, that. Yeah, well, I don't know about dystopic, but, uh, yeah, a little bit. Judge, yeah, Judge mean, Dredd isn't, exactly. isn't dystopic. <laughs> okay, that's kind of dystopic, yeah, but my, my setting, it's like, you know, I think it's just my natural pessimism about making things a little dystopic in that, you know, our world isn't perfect, you know. Uh, no, no, yeah. You've got a lot of stuff like that. So it's like, eh, I try to work. But, and, but also, uh, I tried to, with the with the EO, I tried to make it, make the governments or the areas sound as neutral as I could. Because, uh, you know, it's like at some point, you know, if you want a setting where the government is, or where that city is bad, or the people are bad, or the, you know, government is bad or, you know, something bad has happened and they're the enemy. I kind of wrote it that it could be that or it could also be that they're the good guy, you know, just kind of trying to be a little bit objective. I think that's kind of one of the hallmarks. I think that's one of the hallmarks of science fiction is to always try to have a semi-detached point of view from the, the struggles of wherever the setting is because... By nature, the, the the science aspect of science fiction is sort of, you know, science is supposed to be sort of detached and analytic. And it's not really that science fiction if you're totally caught up in the drama and, and you know, s- beliefs of everything and you never step back and question what it's all really about, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I had to do a lot of research on Nietzsche. I think I also... That's uh, one of the things I've been criticized for lately is that, 
I don't really, I try to be original, but really what I do is I research something and, you know, I try to transition interesting things over to that. And uh, I don't know if that's actual originality or not. <laughs> but it's like, you know, um, oh, right, another thing I forgot to mention with the stats. Uh, that's actually based the, on uh, um, real performance curves from uh, Olympians and uh, athletes. Because, uh, you know, 1 through 6, it's, a, it's base 10, you know, 1 through 10. Uh, but when you get uh, past 6 to 7, uh, you're in a different stat class called uh, Olympian. And um, that is something that uh, came up in my uh, research is that, you know, uh, there is a tick with humans, you know, right around when you get like, you know, 30% of where, of what. You're in the top know, 30% uh, of. Can do. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it's really top 1%, but there is a tick in human performance where it suddenly jumps up, where you go from a normal person to just a lift, a uh, meaty lifting machine or a, you know, a super running guy. You know, the sun transformation between, you know, uh, just the sun change. You think that's a gradual curve? No, it's like normal, normal, normal Olympian. Hmm, okay. And, uh, yeah, well, I, that's the thing. I found that fascinating. You know, so I included that. And, and in practical terms, making your character, I don't know how if you have a point-by system or, or how many options people have, but... Um, point-by. Yeah, so do people aim for that when they're making characters they try to just dip into that next tier so that they can officially be one of these olympians at at some one of the three stats yeah actually uh, actually in every rpg i've ever played that's kind of what people naturally drift to um that they want to that they want to uh, have that physical ability in their characters no one really wants to be oh i want to be normal no it's like, eh, being normal is okay, but being Olympian means you are much more able to enact the crazy player stuff that you're about to do. So if I, if I like, just sort of, uh, you know, imagining, I, I'm, I'm getting a lot of pieces of your game sort of in my mind, but I'm trying to put it together now. They, you, you would create a character with tons of options with all these different species and, and uh android-ish things is that right or is it people in mechs oh no no you you, you can have cybernetics okay so you can have cybernetics and um as you're that sort of building your characters your hmm? as you're building your characters you're you know sort of um if you if you don't have a hard class system you're trying to just basically create a a function in your team like people do, you know, you want a healer and you want a tank and you want whatever it is that people, you know, tend to gravitate to, specialize in something. What what kind of uh, outcomes and patterns do you notice people creating when they create these things? And what do people get, like, excited about when they're making, like, what's an example of something that somebody makes and and they just suddenly, you know, realize... The potential that character has in one of these three settings, for example. Well, actually, that's a good question. Um, 
really a lot of people kind of choose a species. Well, actually, it seems like uh, in practice, the biggest thing was choosing whether it be a mammal or a reptile. Uh, because the way that the way I kind of designed it is that reptiles have a few more powers, you know, but they don't have as deliberate stat bonuses and as mammals do. So it's like, you know, gators have the most devastating melee attack in the game. Unless, you know, you have a have a weapon or anything. And they've got a special skill for that melee attack, you know, which is like death row. So they can do that, do a grapple action, do and it just once you've gotten to the grapple action, whatever you've bitten through has pretty much been broken off at that point. Right. At least that's how it's come to testing. And while, you know, uh we've had someone we had testers roll rabbits, and the thing is, is that they've got uh, a good jump, and they've got a good speed boost, and they've got good, excellent senses of hearing. And, you know, by combining these things, you've got this artful dodger monster. Uh, and it's like, oh, oh okay. And it, you've gotten these, uh, you get these species that once you give them a gun... Uh, they get their abilities and it just complements it very well, or, you know, they get this kind of natural stuff that, that complements that very well, but, um. So I'm imagining, now of, I'm imagining like a little, like, group of bunnies going and, like, hopping up to the top of a hill and sniping people or something. Yeah, I think there was a movie like that. I forget what it was. I think it was called Cat Crap One. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> what? It's, it's a thing. It's a thing. All right, anyway, I'll take your word for it. But, you know, also, uh, there are other things like bats and echolocations. Like, oh, okay, well, here, let me let me draw you a map of what you see with your ears. Um, but the, another thing is that, um, really, it depends on your skill set and your gear at that point as well. Like, uh, that, that's another thing, is that this is a modern setting, or rather, it's got a modern combat setting. So you've got cover rules and shooting rules. And at that point you do kind of eliminate. It does come down to what gear you use. Like, uh, we've got riot shields. And if you got a riot shield, you are pretty much the designated tank. Okay. And, because that's what shields are good for. Uh, you could be, you know, a turtle or an armadillo species, and that would enable, uh, and that would probably help out a lot. But just by having the gear and the skills for that comes through. And that's another thing is that when you've got modern combat systems, you really do kind of lose the role thing. I mean, they try to have it in some systems, but it comes down to point man, you know, a guy that's carrying the riot shield, you know, and uh, the guy that has the shotgun, and maybe the guy that has the grenade. You know, you got, you're designated by weapon at that point. Yeah, sure. And, uh, yeah. So it is interesting, um, mostly because... People don't really use tactics in those situations. Have you played um, um that they use uh or they use tactics, they don't use skill they don't use skills. You know, it's like, oh yeah, I'm gonna good to go for this and this has been very effective and I'm just going to do this when we bust open the door. Uh, I'm wondering uh, do you ever pay attention to that uh Steam game that that came out, uh, Mutant uh top down zero. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, actually, I did. I haven't played it yet. Yeah, I played a little I, I bit of still, it. I still, I've been, I'm still chewing on uh, XCOM 2 and Chimera Squad and stuff. 
I'll get it, you know, once it, once it gets cheap enough. Uh, right. But yeah, it's very simple. But that also started out as an RPG back in the 80s, I think. Oh, okay. I, sorry, uh, sorry, not looking it up right now, and I've got, and I've, uh, my memory's kind of gone from the quarantine fog. But that originally was a pen and paper RPG as well. Oh, awesome. I didn't even know that. Oh, um, yeah. yeah, so I, I was just going to mention that, uh, the, the nature of, you know, I, I'm noticing your cover design, you know, it's not, um, it's not human faces with cat ears. You're, you tend to present this as animal heads, you know, on humanoid bodies. Yeah. And so yeah, you would expect the, that's kind of what they did as well. Oh yeah. 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 I believe it or not, I think the, the bat on that cover is probably the thing that's going to sell the most. Or, well, you know, it's probably the one, the one that I put in the ads because I think that's the one, I think that's the one that's going to be the most appealing to people. But, um, yeah, actually, that's kind of the thing. Um, you know, I had a lot of testers in the thing, and those are actually the uh, characters that the testers made. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was kind of my, well, it was kind of my way of trying to say thanks for all the work that they've done for me. You know, I had a lot of fun, and I hope they had a lot of fun, you know. So I was like, oh, all right, you know, I went around saying, hey, do you want the cover? you want the cover? you want the cover? All right, what do you want it to look like? And... You know, and so, you know, it's kind of, I, I could have made better ones, but, uh, it's like, yeah, actually the, the ship behind them, uh, that was actually, that was actually the ship that they used in the campaign. It was, it was, a, we were rolling, we were doing it through roll 20 and that was the, the cheap free stock asset that I uh, pulled from their sprite library. <laughs> you know, I was like, okay, that's kind of why it's kind of yellow, you know, like that. So the cover's kind of my big thank you for them for all the help that they've done. Well, for people who are listening, you know, uh, it doesn't look like a, you know, a clip art sprite on the cover. It's, it's, it's a proper perspective painting oh, yeah. of, uh, of a part oh, of a ship and, yeah. and the characters are standing looks, in front of it, but. Looks kind of like a plane or a sub that's turned on the side there and it's big and yellow, but whatever. <laughs> it worked out great. You know, but um, it was my way of saying thanks uh, to yeah, them. So that's a nice touch. Yeah, you know, it was much. Oh yeah, yeah, it meant more to me than uh, making properly designed, aesthetically pleasing characters for my cover. Um, so let's talk about the development of it then. Um, okay. You know, oh, like, we didn't get to the third planet. We didn't what? Yeah, whatever. Oh, to the third planet on the setting. Oh right. Um, yeah, we can talk about that. The it's it's that's logos, yeah, right? Well, yeah, yeah, let's get to that before we get into the guts. Um, yeah, that, that's the sci-fi setting. That's the one that I, I, I actually kind of more impassioned about because, um, it, I was able to work a few mechanics that I tinkered with, you know, uh, before, uh, actually even thinking of an RPG, you know, like a modular weapon system and uh, a modular armor system and, you know, stuff like that. And that, that's kind of where it all, that's where the space and sci-fi thing goes in the full gear awesome so because yeah, then yeah that and that and uh prototype and then i decided that you know okay we're not going to have like little things and stuff but we're going to have like one big government and it's going to be a noctocracy or something like that you know basically the government is determined by a uh, weird biological machine man and when everyone sleep everyone has a pod for sleeping because I uh, I did some research, as 
a lot of things in this setting are going to start with. <laughs> right. You know, I did some research, and it turns out that astronauts uh, can't digest well. They can't digest food well. They need pressure, you know, and uh, they need gravity. They need pressure mm, to right. process food. So I was thinking, okay, you know, that's actually a cool, weird thing. So I said, okay, everybody in this station, you know, it's it's microgravity, you know, they're dealing with it. But basically to digest, they go into a sleep pod. And they're, like Michael Jackson, they are pressurized. And they're, you know, and not like Michael Jackson, their thoughts are, you know, secretly recorded and given to this anonymous machine that nobody really knows about. You know, it's like this long chain of bosses, 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 and then everybody eventually loses interest. So no one really knows who's in charge. But it's this uh, this biological creature that listens to everybody's dreams and takes that as uh, advice. So you have an unconscious democracy. Oh wow, that's pretty unique. Well, I, I, yeah, well, I, I would think so. I just said, okay, what's the what's the kind of government that that is kind of weird and no one's tried before? I know one that's kind of impossible. And you know the Venture Brothers thing where they're in their pods and they can huh, right, yeah. so they can transmit to the clones. Except that's you know, more so about like, teaching hey. them, right? And uh, I suppose, well, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Well, it, it teaches them, and I thought it recorded them so that their future clones wouldn't... Well, yeah, wouldn't, know, they wouldn't, wouldn't have notice the, the transition. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, well, I thought that was very interesting. So, unconscious democracy. Wow. Oh, but then, but also in this setting... Um, you know, the thing is that I, I, I kind of had more cynicism setting. It's like, okay, no matter how advanced you are, uh, it, you, you, everyone is like three meals away from beating each other with sticks. So there's, uh, gangs in this <laughs> station. And it's kind of semi-legal in that basically each little gang, uh, is kind of encouraged because it's, it's a digital society like all futuristic things. So you're kind of encouraged to do this gang stuff or join these gangs. Some are bad, some are good, to kind of get your social enrichment in, you know. So it's like, eh, there's only one that's actually called the G-thugs, but there's others that just want to race stuff. There's one that are just hackers and pranksters. And I did a campaign with the pranksters being the antagonist, and it terrified the the testers a bit. <laughs> it's a little bit weird. It's like, oh yeah, what happens? Oh yeah, all the lights turn off. Uh, well, what else happens? The oxygen turns off. Uh, what's that? <laughs> then you see the giant skull. Okay. Yeah, and then then I discovered that, you know, Roll20 and pulling clip art off the internet is kind of a good way to freak people out. <laughs> um, anyway. But that's where a lot of the space combat rules, a lot of uh, specialized skills for space come in. Uh, now, like just space. let me let me butt in here and say that the the idea of the unconscious government itself is, to me, that just uh, you know, that has so much potential because as a as a GM or somebody who'd potentially you know run this system, having a sort of um, an excuse for why things can happen that are outlandish or outrageous or you know sort of set in motion a bunch of events that's that's one of the big questions of every setting you know your, the point of an rpg is to have those those adventures and if you have a government that controls essentially a whole planet but is nobody's technically in control of it 
except yeah, no one, no one's consciously in control. Nobody's consciously yeah. in control. That I just love that as a, as an excuse to create sort of like, well, I guess unconsciously we all wanted this, and so. Well, uh, yeah, it's that um, if everybody's full of anxiety, then it kind of trickles upward into the government, and then the government makes these decisions based on these irrational fears or these subconscious fears. You know, so it's like, is it well, it's putting wisdom on to the subconscious as opposed to the conscious? Yeah. So I, I think that's very interesting. Like, you know, you go in there and suddenly there's weird border checks or suddenly all, you know, if something terrible happens, the government clamps down. And I was thinking, you know, that's it's kind of organic, you know. Right. It's kind of pre-crime, you know, uh, you could, you could predict a, an uprising before it actually is consciously even put into motion and. Uh, oh yeah, that stuff. You know, it's like all of a sudden the government knows things about you they shouldn't know. You know, things about you you didn't think you knew. You know, it's like it gets weird. Yeah. But also, yeah. So I, I wish I kind of explored more of that in, uh, in my testing phase. Uh, uh, Thanks for reminding me. Well, so it's like, yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, um, that 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 sounds exciting. I'm, I can see why you'd be uh, proud of that as a as a as a third setting for people to go around in. And I just like the general idea of, you know, clear, distinct choices between these settings to play in. Because I think you're right that when it comes to sci-fi, people do want one of those three. <laughs> Um, but they don't generally want them hard mixed together in in one setting. So having the the choice of planets and um, a knowing what you're in for when you start is a big part of science fiction. And I think it's why a lot of science fiction fails if it fails to distinguish itself really early and set the tone and set expectations. And here you kind of get around that. Well, the thing is that uh, you can only... Well, I think the hardest thing about sci-fi is that you can't write... Well, you can write what you don't know, but really, if you don't know what to write, you're kind of screwed. So the thing is that, you know, if you're going to write something like, how does this future technology... I have no idea. And in the past, they just write, I don't know, advanced transistors. Yeah, yeah. You know, flying cars, magnets, you know, stuff like that. And eventually you're just going to have to come up with a goal and say, and kind of just make a plan and then try to clear your mind of all doubt and just, just kind of accept that, you know, what you'll be doing is only going to come from the perspective of your own imagination and accept that, you know, it's probably going to be illogical or it's not going to be accurate at all. But, you know, you might get lucky and a few things might get accurate and just kind of, well, just kind of open yourself up for uh, taking the punch. Well, I mean, I mean, that kind of speaks to your whole your whole attitude here that I'm picking up, which is you're very self-deprecating, oh, yeah. um, <laughs> like to the point where I'm, I'm I'm concerned because this is like you have some pretty good stuff here and you, everything is like, well, yeah, I kind of did this and I'm not you know sure about it, but here I tried this and, you know, like, you got a, you got a nice sounding system here. Um, but. Oh, thanks. Uh, I don't know what kind of hell you had to go through to, to get the game, you know, to the point of completion, but it looks to me like on the website here, you, 
uh, early 2018 you first released it. Is that right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, it was ready a little bit before then, but I want about maybe a year, a year and a half of testing. And it's just under 200 pages, so that's pretty yeah, I decent. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, for a core book, you you want more than a hundred. You know, and two hundred is about about where you want to go. You know, unless you want to, unless you want uh, something to serve as a coffee table replacement. You know, right? Or the other way, which is the rules light uh, obsession. You know, to getting getting something to be so small that uh, you're hoping people pick it up and and can just sort of read through it just quickly in one setting and and get rolling without a lot of what they would see as obstacles. Yeah, well, yeah, that's one of the things. I think though they're also called the cinematic systems, and the, that's that. Those are more uh, narrative heavy, but um, that is one of the things about Rules Light is that uh, I really don't like it. I think you gotta help the players a bit, you know, like give them a setting, give them give them more than what they need to play, right? You know, I, because I, you never know. I, and uh, I've seen it a lot, you know, where they'll, they'll like flip through the book. You know that's kind of entertainment for them, and so it's like you want you want some meat there. Personally, I agree. Um, I I like the idea of a nice uh, meaty system that has, you know, explicit explanations of of things that people would be concerned with. I mean, um, if you're going to get into especially the setting, uh, if you want the setting to matter to people, you should give them a hand. You know, in in trying to create that and. It looks like you have a uh, proportionately in your book. How much of the book would you say is devoted to settings, character creation, these species? Um, how does uh, it generally I, fall? I, I, yeah, if you had asked me that, uh, maybe a few months ago, I would have been able to tell you the exact page wording. But I'm going to say because the, there is a lot of the um, there's a lot for the species thing. Yeah, I'm imagining almost like a GURPS level of, you know, intricacy here that could could play out. Like I a, will humbly clap you for that. <laughs> you what? You call it, you compare me to GURPS, man. <laughs> That's a no, compliment. I'm, I'm joking, I'm joking. Oh, oh, good, good. Sorry, I, I, my uh, my experience with uh, GURPS is a little bit. I've never met a guy who, never a guy from prison who who was willing to teach me that system. <laughs> um, <laughs> Oh, well, I'd say probably about a good hundred, maybe eighty-five pages is uh, probably lore. Um, of course, that also isn't counting the fact that there is a lot of flavor text. Every chapter, I wanted to kind of put in flavor text, you know, kind of spell out the system, and I did that for the setting or for the species too. So you know, and uh, and I've gotten a lot of compliments for that, and it's like. You know, that's kind of how you spell out a system is that, you know, you got the chunks and then you got these little, little scenes that you portray. And, yeah. Uh, I, they're kind of the know, connective I mean, tissue in, in some way. They take a lot of the, the big ideas and they show you what it looks like together, you know, right? That's how I see it. Oh, yeah. 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 It's like, it's like knowing a civilization, uh, it's like knowing a culture by looking at its food. You know, I think I've got something about food in there too. But anyway. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Now, uh, we were about to talk about the development, right? Yeah, let's get into the development of it, because uh, yeah. how, how long would you I say it was in development? Oh, 
Well, that is the thing. Um, uh, let's see. Huh. Okay, sorry. It took me some development time to think of a metaphor. Uh, this is like a this is like mixed jello. You know, it's like there's a lot of transparent stuff, and then there's some meat in there. Yeah, I can roll with this uh, metaphor. It was initially a prototype called a wired system, and it was designed because, um, you know, I kind of wanted to make this spy RPG. And uh, that that was the thing. that It was a dream for me and the gaming buddies was uh, to for us to make our own RPG, you know? Yeah. And um, then, you know, for the webcomic, that's when I kind of prototyped and Put everything together, and that was just kind of, you know, whip it together. So, um, you know, but that was also a lot of fluff and stuff. And then this was probably about, mm, I'd say, eight months development, and then maybe a year and a half of testing. Oh, nice. Well, that's the thing, is that, uh, you know, I was researching development stuff, and I, I discovered something very interesting, Pullman. I discovered that there's gods of testing. <laughs> You know, and if you don't, and if you don't pay your obeisance to these gods, they curse your product. Oh wow! I call them the QA gods. You know, and it's like so. It's like you know, I believe that a lot of development is in um, in testing. You know, and so it's like I I pounded this stuff out in like nine months, eight months. You know, and then uh, then the rest was just uh, playing it, testing it, uh, playing it again. You know. And um, even the lore was tested. You know, I, I'd uh, go up to the testers and I'd say, okay, here we're going to be exploring this in the campaign. Or I'd ask them after uh, after an adventure was done, saying, okay, did you guys think that was cool? You know? And so that was, kind of, that was kind of my development there. Yeah. Was that I made a product and then I said, mm, testing. Testing, testing, testing. You're going to get a lot testing. of credit from the... You're going to get a lot of credit from the other guys uh, who've done this this podcast oh, yeah. and they uh, that's one thing that they all wish they had more of and that those who do uh, insist on so oh my goodness yeah it's like yeah I I met one guy and he said that oh yeah you don't really need tester testers you want testers that are going to intentionally try to break the game and you know since every RPG I've ever played you know it's kind of even I think maybe uh, on myself on a fundamental level is to find a way to make broken characters or OP characters or broken tactics. Um, you know, I kind of just accepted that. Yeah, no, what? You know what? Broken is cool. Oh, okay. We're forgetting all sense of balance here. You know, uh, but we're going to. But we're. But at the same time, there are things you're going to find out through just regular testing that you will not wouldn't have stumbled upon uh, already, or you wouldn't have stumbled upon them if you were laser-focused on a single thing. Well, I mean, that sounds like a good way to develop it, and uh, were you... How many... It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Did your, did your friends end up uh, being the ones who did some testing, or was it uh, was that a whole different group that ended up doing the testing side? A uh, whole different group. Let me tell you, it is one of the, I don't know why, but it was the hardest sell for my regular gaming buddies, you know? It's like, hey, you know, I made a system. Oh, that's nice. You know, like, let's play D&D, you know? Yeah. Hey, uh, yeah. I, hey guys, I pr- got to print it up, you know, come up there with a, a big, by that time it was like, you know, maybe 180 pages, you know, and put 
together uh, held together by thumbtacks, you know. Yeah. Go there and be like, oh, cool, cool. You know, uh, uh, sadly, it wasn't until I started putting in the furry art that they actually started looking in, looking at it. <laughs> <laughs> actually, it's, it's um, artist is another thing you could talk about. And uh, bless them, I know that it's not easy being left brain enabled, you know, or the right brain, whatever, art good people. <laughs> but it's like there's one artist, and I think he worked for the government or was homeless. Uh, he was fantastic. He was fast, but he could not give me his address, and he would disappear for months at a time. <laughs> oh he was just the nicest guy, and I had to cut him from the book for uh, copyright reasons because he needed an address. And it's like, ah, I loved you like a brother. <laughs> not that bad, but still, it's like you know. But hey, if the guy ever. Well, the guy's got a job if he ever needs it. Yeah, well, yeah, the development, okay. testing, and then the publishing side of things. I mean, obviously that ties in with once you're actually finished. And uh, yeah. it sounded to me like you actually kind of enjoyed that. But um, as you were... Yeah. Let, I had to start my own company, you know, for it. Um, that's the kind of thing is that, you know, um, I was I asked a lot of people for help. That is kind of the big thing. Um I decided that writing an email would be my strength, as I told myself. And I emailed, um, like Jackson Games. Yeah. Or the monthly guys. Um, I emailed the guy who made Burning Wheel, and he helped me a lot with, you know, um, trying to figure out how much to pay artists and stuff. Oh, wow. It turns out you just ask them, <laughs> you know? And, uh, that's the thing is that we're not really, it, us and the big guys, there's not too much difference. You know, uh, just email them your question, tell them you're, you know, making your own RPG, and they'll, they'll, they'll usually, you know, reply. And, uh, they've got good advice. Um, and that's kind of the thing is that, you know, it's, uh, I think that's kind of the biggest thing is getting over the, the hump of asking. You know, it's like email. Uh, Jackson Games, email Wizards of the Coast, email, you know, the guy who... Well, I emailed the guy who played, who makes riffs, Kevin Siemba. He never replied. Figures. You know, but uh, just sending out those emails to these professionals with questions, and, you know, you never know, they might reply. Because yeah. uh, there's not too much difference between us and them. So... Or if we are to say that we are indies and they are, and they are big guys, is that... You know, uh, they they they're just further along in their career than uh, us. Sure, you know, they're and they're more than willing to help us. And so, I think that's one of the things is that it's easy to get anxious thinking, oh, they'll see us as competition, or oh, they don't have the time. But really, it's like no, you know, we're the same species. You know, the hunched over GM indie de game developer person. You know, it's just they found a job for it, and we didn't. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, another thing is that I've sought out, uh, oh, I am sorry for interrupting you a lot in this interview. I've, uh, I'm a little, I've been a little bit cooped up with this quarantine thing. Sure, I can tell it's all spilling out now. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, well, another thing is that, you know, with everyone quarantined, you walk out and it's like the apocalypse, but it's much cleaner. You know, there's just nobody out in the streets anymore, so it's like, uh, I'm a little stir crazy. <laughs> Sure. Well, I'll try to squeeze in a question without being interrupted. Then, um, uh, the 
prospect of making a company, uh, copyright issues, contracts with people that you work with, um, all that kind of stuff is nightmare fuel. And um, I'm sure that there's a lot of people who would just rather, you know, do the minimal route to getting their PDF uploaded onto DriveThruRPG. And I'm wondering if you can explain to them what the the pitch is for actually going through those proper steps to make a company, make sure your copyright's all sorted out and, and all of that. What is the upside? Well, the, uh, well, actually there's a bit of upsides. Um, yes, they're totally upsides. No, um, it, it, it'll really, a lot of it is protection, you know, um, by making your own company, uh, it's sidesteps a lot of, uh, tax things. And, uh, it means that, you know, you might get some tax benefits. Like, uh, I got a bit of a, from the, well, I got a little benefit, Benny's from the, you know, uh, tax stimulus thing. And, you know, and another thing is that it's, it really kind of, well, it makes you feel like a big boy. You know? <laughs> well, it's like you go in there, you've got a company, uh, you've got a tax status, uh, you have something, to your name, and that, that I felt that was quite the boost to my ego. Um, and it's a, it's a little bit of paperwork, but at the same time, it's paperwork for yourself. You know, it's like, eh, now I've got a company, now I've got a book, I've got an entertainment business, technically because of this thing. And really, it's making me think that this isn't just, you know, uh, a tinkering or a uh, hobby. hobby. This is this is. This is a serious business, you know. Right. I mean, technically, um, you could have employees, and you would have the structure necessary to be able to handle their, you know, handle employees oh, yeah. that work for you and that kind of thing. Um, well, also, you know, um, also this is a great way to handle contracts. And I kind of went the Mickey, or we, I went the Mickey D way, and I just signed up for LegalZoom, you know, uh, because. You know, I had some contract negotiations because I was making it for a friend and it worked out. And I kind of needed, well, I needed someone with some legal expertise to jump in or, you know, to tell me or to figure this stuff out. Sure. And also that there I got, um, that's where I got a lot of resources for contracts, um, you know, loans, stuff like that. Okay. I didn't take loans or give them, you know. And... So I just signed up to LegalZoom, and there I was able to find a lot of advice, and they help a great deal in terms of copywriting, you know, uh, turning things over to the copyright office, you know, and stuff like that. How many things so did you copyright? I mean, are you copywriting specific um, elements of your of your game, or are you just the general name of it, or what all needs to be copyrighted? I mean... Th- well, actually, that's the thing. Um, I've got a basic stripped-down version of my uh, gaming system because this, this was in production and it wasn't quite done yet, so I just made the bare basic rules. They called it the Tristat rule system, and I sent that in, you know, for being for copywriting, and it came back like a day later, it got copyrighted, you know, and then I copyrighted my book, you know, then I copyrighted, you know, uh, just uh, just kind of what you're producing that you don't want copied and stuff like that. 
I know um, it is an option to go for the public domain, you know, but at the same time, it's like, eh, that's if it's something you don't really want to sell, at least in my opinion. It's a very, also, it's a complex thing, and I don't understand it. So, hmm. that's another, another tip is to just try to work with what you know, you know? Um, uh, it occurs to me now that, um, you know, I could ask you a lot of questions about this, but the, you know, maybe the better thing would be to, for you to, you know, if you want people to be able to email you and ask you questions about the process you went through or advice you would have, um, you could give people your email and they could actually do what you did and email somebody and try to, uh, you know, get to get some heads yeah, up. Yeah. That's happened uh, a little bit, you know, um, things that all the devs got to stick together. So uh, I've had a few of them email me, you know, uh, a guy, I'll give him a shout out. He's got this uh, system called Dabula Raza, you know, blank slate. And it's uh, kind of a, uh, it's a multi-system. It doesn't have a setting, but it, it, it it's got some good ideas. Anyway, if you punch it into Google, it should come up. And, uh, you know, and those are pretty good guys. But, you know, I've also talked to other people, and it's like they, they've got these, uh, they'll come up with a worksheet, and they'll come up, you know, a cover, and, you know, 300 pages, but then they'll say they don't have a system. And it's like, you don't have a system, so, like, what about all these stats, you know, in this portion of your of your uh, sheet? And they're like, oh, we, we don't have anything for that. Oh, we, we leave those for the... GM to figure out, uh, or for the GM to figure out how those work. And I'm like, what? I've never even heard of that. Yeah, it's like, oh man, okay. And that's, that's kind of the thing is that, uh, you know, the difference between fluff and crunch. And there are some people that love the crunch and there's other people that love the fluff. But you kind of need both of them, I think. You know, otherwise you're just making a character sheet where you only use like three out of five uh, stats. <laughs> That's... Or sorry, it was uh, it was seven out of nine stats. You know, it's like a whole sections over here. You know, are not even listed in the book. It's like, oh boy, that's that's actually very depressing to me. I'm so I'm, I'm I regret even knowing that that's uh, what happens. But well, uh, that guy had other strengths too. He had a, he was able to set up his own shop. You know, through a website. You know, because he didn't want to he didn't want to give a. Uh, drive through RPG or Amazon to take. So it's like, yeah, this guy's clearly has different skills. I hope it's programming and not, you know, scamming people, but there you go. Yeah, no kidding. But, um, yeah, another thing, uh, sorry, another thing about the business thing, and I think it was a big step, is that um, in the Northwest, there's a group called the SCORE Group, and they help small businesses. And, you know, um I just went to them and they guided me through the whole process of making it, of making, of establishing, you know, the company, setting up the taxes and stuff. And that, that's kind of just another thing where it's like, you know, kind of got to brave up and, you know, find out the resources in your area. And uh, you'd be surprised at what uh, advice you can find. Yeah. Well, that's great to hear. Actually, that guy thanked me. He said oh, this was the simplest job, you know. Oh, just establishing it. Oh, you write books. That's fantastic, you know. And it's uh, most of the time they come in there, and it's like, you know, uh, I come from a, I come from an ancient Sumerian snake cult. How do I write that on my taxes? You know, something <laughs> like that. Right, right. So, 
Yeah, but um, I, I suppose the biggest thing, and I, I see this with lots of devs, is that they got they got the brains for it, you know. I mean, this RPG stuff. There's a lot of numbers to track. There's a lot of stuff like that. It's transitioning that. I I think uh, what you gotta do is you kind of gotta make a different persona of yourself, you know. Right, right. That, this is this is gonna be businessman me that's gonna handle this. I was gonna you say know? that you. That's what I would think people need to do because the the natural creative side, I believe, uh, usually falls more in line with the introspective, um, sensitive, you know, shut indoors and just sort of, um, it's, it, I, I don't see very many extroverted take on the world type of RPG designers. Mm. And so, yeah. you know, to be able to do that and get out of your comfort zone and actually deal with some bureaucracy and some, you know, to whatever extent it's needed, it sounds like it's a pretty simple process, but you know, even just uh, the thing is with that is that it's shooting in the dark, you know. It's like you do it, you fill out the forms, you fill out the cash, but you're never quite sure you did it right, you know. Right, right. Then, 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 hopefully, hopefully, you get a letter saying you did it right, but you never know. So it's it's all shot in the dark, you know. On the upside, there's humans on the other side of these letters, and they kind of figure out what you're saying. Yeah, and then the same, well, the same way with, uh, (laughs) the same way with, uh, you know, emailing people, you know, you're, um, you're ultimately just dealing with another human being. And if you don't present yourself as somebody worth talking to, then they're probably not going to talk to you. And, you know, you can, you need that persona to be able to bridge that and say, no, I'm going to, you know, reach out, I'll shake your hand, I'll, you know, I guess not anymore, but, in the the concept of shaking the hand uh, still exists. So. We do the the doctor uh, handshake around here now, where you just touch each other's elbows. Yeah, sure. I, I'm not actually joking. That's the thing. No, I I've seen it. Uh, I know oh yeah, yeah, I know it's, it's real. Like, yeah. Okay. When this quarantine is over, though, um, I forgot. I I have to mention this, and it's very important. Is um, you're gonna have to go to your uh to a gaming con or a comic convention um if you've got you know uh hopefully a big one um because they'll usually have uh floors dedicated to you know uh tabletop gaming yeah um it's it's kind of it's been a popular it's it's kind of been, become a popular thing um you know, and uh, so we're kind of a lot of fish in a big in a tank here. You know, it's beginning to look like a salmon pond. But hey, we're not in it for the money. And um, but the thing is, is that you've got to you go go to a comic con, right? Or a convention. You could go to Dragon Con if you're in the East Coast, and that like that would actually probably be a, bit, a bigger boon for you than anything. And there you're going to meet up with. They, there they're going to have like seminars. And sit downs and contests, all about tabletop gaming. And there you'll be able to meet people. You'll be able to meet um, test groups. Uh, here in the Northwest, we've got Playtest Northwest, and uh, that that that's where you could uh, get some playtesters. Hopefully, you know, I I haven't uh, delved too much out with them. Yeah, you know. right. No, this but, sounds uh, uh... also that's where you meet uh, artists. 
you know, for your book and stuff. And uh, I think that's kind of like all the things you need in one place. You know, get just get a one-day thing and go there, and uh, it'll it'll really really impress you. I think that's actually probably a big way to kind of break away this kind of uh, block that indie developers have is if you know if they're familiar with cons or if they're used to them. You know, you'll be able to go there and you'll be able to talk to people that speak the same language as you do, you know? Well, I was just about to ask about the writer's block idea. Um, So let's just, let's get into that because there's a lot of different kinds of blocks. Writing block is, is one kind. Um, You know, the block that stops you from, uh, you know, completing something is kind of different. Uh, The block that stops you from reaching out to people that you really should reach out to. There's, there's a lot of obstacles you just psychologically need to be able to get over. So any aspect of that that you want to talk about, how you did it, and and what advice you'd have, I'd love to hear that. Well, as anyone who's uh, probably gotten this far in the podcast has figured it out, I like to talk. <laughs> um, I think for getting around your block. Now, if you're an independent developer, you probably have the... Well, okay, there's this thing called a network, right? Uh, psychologically speaking, and really, it's it's nothing so complex. It's like doing things that kind of drain you. You know, like if you're an introvert, going and talking this to people you don't know is draining. Uh, but if you're writing fluff for your book, that's refreshing. And so, writing is in your network. Um, in this case, it's figuring out what's in what's uh, refreshing to you, you know, what builds you up. And one of the things is that with indie RPGs is that you can, or being an RPG maker or developer, is that you can put a lot of importance on it. I mean, especially if you're familiar with any kind of art theory, because uh, that said is that, you know, basically you're writing, sure, but guess what you're really doing? You're spilling your soul into this book, and mm. everyone who read it is going to know your personality. So this is like, you know, a big old, you know, close-up of your face that everyone's going to scrutinize, you know. Right. Um, but, it, but the thing is how to transition. So when you put in the anxiety and importance, it can kind of strain out the relaxing and refreshing parts of it. Um, but the thing is doing something that you don't, that you find re- refreshing, that you don't deem important. And that's kind of the thing that's going to uh, refill you so that you can get back to writing what you want to do. You know, it, it, your production is going to be slow on your main project, on the important project, but it's going to keep going, you know. Right, so you kind of have to, it, it, I mean, it sounds a little bit like the same theory of, of exercise where uh, you you want to actually mix it up uh, because otherwise you sort of plateau and... and uh, if you have more variety, you actually become more effective. Um, yeah, it's like a yeah. Actually, it's a good metaphor for it. So you know, I think uh, my advice is that if uh, you're working on something and you you're really petering out, then maybe you're a little tired of the setting or of the game. Try writing something else, um, maybe another game or another system or even. Some, anything else, and uh, see if that doesn't, you know, uh, give you warm up your blood again. 
I know uh, I can say just from my own experience, the way that I got to the point where I have, where now I'm pretty sure that I'm on my final final version for the first edition, um, is the uh, the idea of creating a sort of an extreme uh, opposite take. When I'm kind of at a crossroads as to what to do, I um, I create two versions of how I could handle the system, and I develop them both at the same time to their logical extremes. And so it's not a different game, but it's a different... It's such a different radical take on how you could handle that. Like, for example, the idea of a, you know, in combat having a super in-depth sort of uh, breakdown of your character's stance and their foot placement and really get into the, the nitty-gritty of all the strategy of how your character moves and twists and almost like, you know, like a Q-op, like the game where you control every joint oh, yeah. almost. You know, yeah, that, that was like a an extreme experiment that I did when I wasn't sure how far to go, and I figured, well... Instead of just sort of trying to guess what the good middle ground will be and then always feel tempted to go that to an extreme, I'll just make the extreme and I won't commit to it as being anything except a test. And meanwhile, I'll do the opposite on the other side, which is a so stripped down version that there's basically just one dice roll for everything and or whatever, simplify it. And uh, that was kind of the same thing where it helped me get through some junctures where I was hesitating for some reason or I wasn't happy because I was always torn between two options. And, uh, yeah, so that would be my advice on that, along that same that line. Sounds, that actually sounds um, – actually, that, that is rather profound. You know, uh, with me, it's, I, I have that little bit of that problem too. Well, not really. And, okay. Yeah, let me, do, let me explain a little bit. It's like, yeah, I've got the system. I think about how it will be to make it simpler, but I always have this aching to make a more complex system, you know, by keep putting it in the back burner and saying, well, well, whatever, someday, someday, you know, after I'm done with this. Yeah. And, um, but I, I salute you in that you, um, well, you do both. Well, you know, I mean, the disclaimer, the disclaimer on mine is that it takes an extremely long time to sort out all these, you know, rabbit trails that go nowhere. And so that's why my game has been in development for ages and um, still not ready. That is another thing, you know. uh, Well, you know, I I kind of became uh, interested in game development. You know, I I looked at video games and... uh, I always wanted to be an animation student, so I looked at projects and stuff like that. And the thing is to have an end date in mind, you know, and uh, I thought, you know, hey, you know, I'm going to do this. I'm going to complete it within two years, you know, whatever. And then I'm going to have a plan to release it. And I think that when you have an end date and goal, uh, it helps you develop the arc, you know, and... Also, I guess, as you said previously with the self-deprivation, is that I I came to the conclusion that no system is going to be perfect. And that, you know, sometimes, and worse yet, you know, it's like, what if you cut something that was important? What if you cut out, like, the best thing? 
of sure. the system because we thought at the time when this you don't know how people are going to react. So I said, you know, I'm going to release it at this time. I'm going to release it, you know, whenever I did. I can't remember. And take it or leave it. You know, just do my best at that time. You know, and I think it's worked out pretty well. Well, you got you had playtesters, though. I mean, that's direct feedback. Oh. So, Yeah, that's another thing is that playtesters, um, I hate to say it, but they're, they're a good source of fuel. And I only say I hate to say that because I know that I consider myself actually very lucky. I mean, some of them were weirdos. Uh, some of them were 13 year olds. Some of them went in there like, uh, and decided to be, uh, I don't know. There was one guy that went in there with a, with a Star Wars clone soldier with a very racist name. And it was like, Oh, troll. It was so racist. I didn't even know about it. Well, some other players said that I'm like, Oh, well, you know, okay. That's a little obscure, but you know, maybe you could change your name from one, four, eight, eight. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Jesus. And, um, yeah, well, I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. What can I say in the pre Simon role, man? No, um, but it's, uh, the testers, they, it's that interaction that I think it takes some participation and also it gives you, um, kind of that restorative feedback. And just like with going to cons and stuff, you talk about your game or you talk to your friends about it or you play it and it kind of gives you this fire that you, that makes you go home at night and say, all right, kind of clack, clack, clack. Yeah. You know. So testers, testers can help you get over your writer's block too. I know, but it's like, eh, testers are wild things, you know. You have to run out of the bushes and get them. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'd rather, I know that they're hard to get. Um, well, let's, before we, uh, you know, we wrap things up, I want to, uh, touch on what I see. It seems to me like, an expansion, uh, uh, I see, uh, Uplift's Bad Sector. Um, yes. Now you see, each splat was supposed to kind of go more in depth to, uh, each planet. And Bad Sector is, uh, oh yeah, sorry, I'm railing off again. Uh, you were saying? Oh, well just that, uh, you know, it looks like, you know, between the time of your release, you, it's not like you just stopped working on it or anything like that. You, you have splat books and, um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I feel bad about it because uh, there's this big empty hump there uh, in my release schedule. But that's because I, uh, well, I I kind of I fell into a writer's block as well, and I was working on it, and it's been that's another thing. You know, I I give some advice about this writer's block, but writer's block is insidious. Each one's different. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so I've been working on the third splat book for this thing, and. I've been able to do it little by little, but by doing that, I've had to, you know, work on other RPGs and game jams. Like oh. I, I've uh, made uh, the Tremors, or Tremors, the RPG, and uh, you know, I made another one called Rune Scribes and stuff. And they're just little little things I pounded out in a few days, uh, but they helped me uh, get my thing ne- near to completion. I'm, I'm working on another side game, and then when I'm done with that, it'll probably give me enough to finish this last splat. But um. In terms of the uh, uplift splats, um, they're, they're, they go into each setting a little bit more. You know, kind of flesh out a bit of lore, uh, give you a kind of this big dungeon to run around in. You know, like in uh, Bad Sector was based off, uh, well, I like to say that it was based off that movie Penumbrum. You know, where they're like running around the guts of this ship, 
you know, and it's it's got all these different sectors and all this, and it's all very interesting. It's a big setting, you know, and there's these uh, kind of crazy mutants in there. Right. Um, but actually, in truth, it's actually um, it's actually based off. Of, I don't know if you know about it, but there's this comedy series called Red Dwarf. No, I don't know that. Oh, it's a it's a great British uh, show. Uh, they got a whole da- channel based off it called Dave TV in Britain. And the thing is that it's kind of this it's a comedy sci-fi show. Sure. And uh, it's kind of funny because they approach a lot of heavy sci-fi concepts, but because of it's a comedy, it's approached in an interesting it's a different way. You know, like they approach the whole mind swapping and post-humanism. Uh, like just kind of this laugh track of, you know, where this main guy he they swap his brain and it's with someone who was a higher rank to shut off a self destruct and that person's actually a woman and she's going on about why she she didn't used to have male genitals then why she's then she's very confused about all that and uh, <laughs> stuff like that and he makes a trade with this character that's a digital hologram that's kind of his bunkmate. You know, it's for him to borrow his body, and when he borrows his body, he just gorges on these giant piles of mashed potatoes with waffles. And well, yeah. <laughs> Everett, he, you're going to have to, Everett, Everett, you're going to have to slow down and explain how this relates to your game in any way, shape, or form. Oh, right, right, right. Sorry. Um, in that show, uh, they like have the the thing is that they live on this giant ship, and in the show, they can barely show or quite illustrate how gigantic this ship is. You know, it's like they, uh, when it takes them like weeks to walk across it without elevators or trains and stuff. And that's actually kind of what the thing's based on is that you're traversing this giant spacecraft manually, you know, with hiking gear because it's not meant to be actually, you know, walked across. Right. It's essentially a massive city or something like that. It's like a massive engine block. And, you know, and the, so it's like, that that's kind of what it's based off of. But I say it's Penumbra because Penumbra is cool. But really, it's based off this background stuff they mention in this sci-fi comedy show. All right. So that's what it's based on. But when people buy it, they're not going to expect a comedy. Oh, no. The, so... no, no. They're, they're, they're going to get, like, lots of traps that are, like, pistons and gears and death traps and... uh Weird monsters that are kind of zombies made of machinery, you know, and all these survival rules and uh, we're getting into the survival rules a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I can't. I don't. uh, Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's a sickness. What can you say? (laughs) But um, no, I'm just asking you you to explain it. Oh, right. Sorry. Um, Basically, for long for. Basically, to illustrate how long it takes to travel this this uh, bad sector, which is basically just this underside of Logos. You know, this is where all the this is where all the catwalks stop. This is uh, this is just pure machinery. This isn't where people are supposed to go. But uh, you know, these channels, air channels, machines—they're so big that you know people go down there and uh, they find things like. Um, like special metals, and they take them and they, you know, bring them back and they sell them. And uh, and that's kind of the thing is that it's a bit of poaching, 
and but the survival system is basically you know you, you can illustrate that you find a lot of nothing you know everything's too fastened down to take off you know you spend too long to get across this chasm or gear shaft or you know piston thing um you know and basically it's uh you know you're lost for 1d10 days you know you lose you know 1d10 water oh okay so you're what the system is doing is just uh sort of creating a, trail, kind of creating a structure and a and a system for the the nuts and bolts of you know what the actual exploring and um well i guess survival in the sense of how to scavenge and how to basically get through the confusing labyrinth of the of the underside of this that you're exploring through is that basically yeah. how it works yeah. also it's to serve as kind of a timer you know it's like okay we're out there's you know um you can roll to scavenge you know water which is basically just sucking off moisture off of uh, the interior of an air duct or something but you know it's like it's going to be quite poisonous and hit your hp a bit so it's like we can only be down here so long and then we got to go back you know so it's kind of a time it's basically a timer so what you have yeah. you presented as a uh, as a dungeon though like a mini dungeon and so it's this is a system yeah. only basically used yeah. for this one dungeon or do you expect it to apply to the main game as well oh uh, yeah it can be applied to the main game um thing is that it does have a lot of uh, gear and stuff that can be taken into the main game, but I hadn't really thought about it in that sort of uh, question. I kind of thought of it as, okay, yeah, here's this this big kind of thing, kind of this proving ground, you know. Um, yeah. Hmm. I'm, no, it's not a bad idea. I imagine... Although I don't really see how. Hmm. Although there are some lore bits there that kind of extend beyond uh, just it, but it, it basically was the idea of the dungeon Right. The deep hole with the things, you know, because in D&D, you know, and uh, they really bring it out in the comic. You know, have you read the IDW uh, comic for oh, Dungeons and Dragons? Certainly not. No, I oh. have not. Oh, it's fantastic. The the bants, man. The bants between the dwarf and the elf. Anyway, but um, the thing is that they explain in D&D, and you think the elf dungeons are just a hole. No, apparently some dungeons are some sort of giant underground American gladiator obstacle course. And there are tiers and there are, you know, things down here with schemes and stuff like that. And uh, that's that's kind of what I wanted to recreate was this, you know, the the classic D&D massive dungeon. Mm. You know, at least in terms of how it is presented in lore thing. Well, that's interesting because your description on drive through RPGs uh, specifically calls it a mini dungeon, so I was expecting it to be quite, quite small and to the point. But well, well, I don't have any maps or anything for it, so it's like, you know, it's all just kind of presented like, okay, how many days do you want to go in there? You encounter this, this, and this. You know, roll each day, you know, and uh, and then you know you spend twice, uh, then you spend the exact same amount getting out of there. Sure. You know. Yeah. So I thought, you know, is that really a is that really a dungeon dungeon? You know, 
If I had, like, more pictures in it. That's another thing is that all the splats, I didn't spend any money with an artist or anything. Yeah, it, it looks together. like it's uh, it's 18 pages, and you can pay what you want for it, right? Yeah, yeah, I didn't really think that it was, you know, uh, worth a price tag. It's more of a, it's a supplement. Now, I'm not a, I'm not a crazy about uh, dice systems and trying to, you know, suss out what the, the best dice system is, but... Um, just, I know that people always feel like they don't know anything about a game until they know what its dice system is. So I'm seeing that it's a D100 system. Yeah. Is that something you well, took from that Rift? Uh, that, oh, actually, that is kind of uh, that's kind of the thing is that uh, Rifts is technically a D20 system, but it uses every other dice it can get a hold of. You know, short of the 2D sided uh, dice, aka coins. You know, so no, uh, it's not a, a Rifts is not a D D one hundred system. Eclipse phase is, and that's where I kind of like the grainy granularity, granularity of uh, granularity. Yeah, there you go. Uh, the graininess of D one hundred. Yeah, because like a D ten and a D twenty is like then you got five percent. You know, you got ten percent, but a D one hundred, yeah, that, you know. The classic 100 precision. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, that, that helps because then you can just say percentiles. But sure. So now that I, now that I know kind of the, I feel, I feel like I know the, the pitch on, on some level. Um, Ooh. I'm wondering, uh, you know, I'm trying to put this into the, into the scale of projects that I've heard of and where it would fit on one side or the other because, um, it sounds like you have a very simple three stat core with a D100 mm-hmm. system that is fairly, you know, uh, I mean, you didn't tell me a bunch of details about it, but I imagine it's the same way that any, you know, most D100 systems try to just, you well, know, roll over, you know, um, that is another thing is that, you know, you get the stat, you multiply it by this, you get, uh, your roll bonus. You know, because everything's on a percentile scale. You know. Oh, uh, so if you roll well enough, you get perks of. Yeah. Sure. Sure. So, I mean, the what I'm what I'm saying is that the the game seems like it has a very simple uh, mechanical backbone that that drives it, so that you don't have to worry about juggling a lot of stats or. Doing a lot of math to figure out what you, how to get to a character type that you would like to play as. Um, yeah. But well, the, yeah, that's the thing is that the creation is very simplified, but really it's like it kind of grows from there. You know, that's kind of what I wanted was that, you know, for you to be able to make characters, because for GMs, it's like, okay, statting this and that, you know, a lot of stuff. Uh, you kind of need to make characters quick. So um, having to be able to abbreviate characters as well. But, you know, once you get those three numbers down, you know, it kind of spreads out, and then you've got skills. Right. And we didn't really talk about uh, skills per se yet. Uh, we got a couple minutes left to talk about it if you want to. Yeah, sure. Uh, okay, well, basically skills get a little bit different. Um, you've got some core skills, and those are just things uh, that... 
I think you need that thing that I think that, uh, well, it, yeah, that is also another thing where what planet you come from in the system comes. In. And these are kind of just basic things that uh, you would have learned through the course of becoming an adult. Sure. You know, and then you get about 10 skills for, you know, 10 optional skills. And you can put, and it's level based, so it's like you can put five skill points into one thing or another. And uh, that's kind of where you do the defining of your character. And uh gets a little... And, you know, the thing is that uh, each level in the skill gives you uh, plus 10 to a roll. Yeah, okay, and that's what I would kind of expect. You, and you add your stat to that. So it kind of gets a little bit more complex there, but it, it really kind of fleshes out, you know, if you have natural talent, which is from the stat... Then you've got knowledge and training, which is from the skill itself. And uh, at that point, it really kind of separates, you know, are you a master at this or, you know, are you just someone that learned it but doesn't have any natural aptitude? So give me, a, then, give me a couple examples of what the skills are and why you decided on, you know, those skills as opposed to, uh, you know, some... Uh, I'm trying to think of, you know, how many skills you could theoretically put into something where you have such crazy diversity of species and robots and all these things. How do you decide what the skills should even be in that, in that kind of a system? Well, unfortunately, I decided to just go with the, the Homo erectus, um, perspective and just say, okay, these are skills that anyone would learn, you know, or at least human skills. I do not know. I do not have any skill. I don't have the skill set of gator, of alligator warbling, or I don't know rabbits eating your eating your garden or anything like that. But you know uh, they're divided into various sections like stealth, wilderness survival, which once again comes up, you know, and uh, piloting skills, and then specifically space skills. And unfortunately, we haven't gotten into that, which is the space combat system which is deliberately designed to be uh, one-on-one. But, you know, it's like, um, well, actually, it really is defines who you are. Um, I think that probably for most uh, players, since this is a modern system, it's like, okay, choose a combat skill, you know, based on what, what, you, what primary weapon you want to use. Right, right. And then, you know, it's like once you get, like, say, put, six levels into it, you get plus 60 to your roll. So at that point, you're an ace. Kind of. And at that point, if you for you to actually miss, uh, people are going to have to use uh, roll, cover, and other things. You know, you're, you're beyond just... Uh, you're, the, you're kind of at the level where you're spelling your name in bullet holes. And, but then you've got this whole thing for medical, and that... And here we actually have a bit of difference. I think that's probably the best example of what you're getting at, is that there's uh, first aid, you know, and that's that's a basic, easy-to-access skill, but it doesn't heal as much as if you were in surgery, or if you picked up surgery, and that's where you can do much more healing. Sure. Based on your... And then if you're, like, from PAL, you know, then you go to wilderness skill and you pick up herbalism, and there you can make pastes and topical treatments and stuff and that fits much more with pal also it's much easier because you can you know roll scavenging and stuff which you naturally get when you're when you're uh from pal 
to make these things that kind of make healing items. So it's kind of a different way of working, but you can also be kind of a, a tribal healer. And this you know, all... then you've got other things. Or then you got other things like demolition, gunsmithing, engineering, you know. Um, but I think I think another thing that comes up is uh, I've got a thing called the social uh, skill set, and uh, in, and everyone kind of picked that up, um, mostly because it has these things that that help for persuading, or you know things like that. It's like intimidation, you know, schmoozing. Schmoozing. And that's the thing about schmoozing. Well, uh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> One time I encountered a guy from California, and that's where that's where I inspired the schmoozing skill. The <laughs> schmoozing skill is basically just, it's kind of um, aggregate not information you gather. Like uh, if you go to a party and everybody's talking about something. Oh, yeah, no, I get it totally. It's just, you pick up. oh, it's funny oh, too. I have to usually explain most people say schmoozing. Isn't that from like the snorks or something? Oh hell no! No, I, I got it. It's just it's funny that uh, you would you because it's it's probably the the ideal term for what a lot of people want to do in an RPG, but you'll never see that as a name of a skill. Um, oh yeah. Well, so. also I, I ripped it off of uh, Eclipse Phase as well because they have a basically this kind of archetype or guide called socialite. And that's a lot of persuasion skills. Right. And they've got a favor system. And I was like, okay, I like this favor system where you can get money or things by asking for that. It's kind of this exchange rate. And uh, I decided to use make the smoothing skill out of that. I went for that name because that's, that was a silly name, and I figured, you know what, it, it fits perfectly, though. Oh, I, I think people, I can see why people would like that. Oh, yeah. But a lot of people like the negotiate skill, though. Mostly because it allows you to, because a lot of times they sell, you need to sell something or, you know, even the weird bartering terms like, okay, you want to blow us up, but what about letting this guy go? You know, stuff like that's when it comes up. Oh, yeah. Um, so it, it, it's, uh, yeah, I think that's kind of, it's kind eh, I hate to say it, but it kind of runs contrary to the stat system in that you say, okay, you know, here's where my archetype is going to be. You know, I'm going to put all my stats in intimidation, and I'm going to be the intimidator class. You know, I, I will know nothing else but how to stare people down and make them feel bad about themselves until they do what I want. Well, you're saying that's, so, what is that, run contrary to your, because it's such a simple uh, three-stat system, and then the skills open well, it up to all this variety, or because it, I think it because it really kind of locks you into a class at that point. Oh, I you know, see. You got your stats, and you can you got your stats, and then if you, whatever gear you get um, can define what you do, or you can know you can mix it up. But once you get your skill and you decide to put a lot of points in it, then uh, that kind of designates what you are in the party. You know, that's why usually when I play my own system, I get, that's when I get, you know, I throw every class, every class I've thrown in useless skills, because I think useless skills are fun. Like in the medical section, I've got phrenology, you know, <laughs> and, and I put it down and it's, it's colossal crockery is what I've got written down here, but it's measuring the brain, the bumps in the person's skull to determine their personality. And so it's like, 
hey, you know what? I'm going to make a character, and I'm going to roll phrenology on that on the guy we just shot to get to know what kind of personality he had. You know, the parts of his skull that are still intact. Yeah. Wow. And our history. Sadly, the history thing is actually not very useful. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yes, I'm going to roll history. What does that relate to uh, this mob boss that we're taking down? Nothing. You know, I was like... You go. I I uh, gotta say I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> first of all, the self awareness that that you're not you're not tricking yourself into thinking these are very valuable, but to to roll with it and turn it into something that you know there there will always be a percentage of players who remember and appreciate a system that takes some sort of weird left turn like that. Oh, yeah. and, well, that's the thing is that uh, I am one of those players, and I've seen other people where they will take it as a challenge <laughs> to have a useless skill or a power or a class, and they will twist the scenario around until that becomes useful. And you <laughs> never know when that'll happen. That's exactly you know, right. So you, <laughs> I know that's very sentimental, but at the same time, it kind of makes it fun, you know? Wow. I... Also, like, I've got magic. Not actual magic in the system. Like, you know, Joe Bluth, you know, card tricks and stuff like <laughs> illusions. that. Illusions. Yeah, illusions. Yes, illusions, Michael. Um, and by golly, every time, it's actually a broken, very broken skill. Because it enables you to pickpocket. It enables you to distract. Uh, it almost enables you you actually get the ability to turn cards and coins into weapons you know just 1d10 damage but if it suddenly you know what you have becomes a thrown weapon and you know if you've got level 6 you can just if there's any sort of distraction you can like just move unhindered you know just disappear just run out exactly you know and it's like, it's a funny skill, but at the same time, it gives you, it, it's also kind of broken. So I, and it's come up in playtime too. You know, it's like, oh, just, <laughs> oh, and then it also, there's also a sanity system in this and doing delightful tricks to the entertainment of other people, you know, boosts, it gives you, restores sanity. So, our mental health as it's listed here. So the phrenologist, uh, alligator illusionist, um, you know, going into the hyper advanced, uh, subconscious government driven, uh, autocracy of the future is, is the pitch of uplifts is what you're saying. Oh yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. 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 Actually that is succinct and that is accurate. Uh, well, then I'm glad. Yeah, I think that's the combination. I'm glad that we got to that point because, um, I got the sense early on that there was, there was a dark sense of humor behind what you were going for, but, um, now I can see how it, how it all comes together and, and smooths out the, the concerns over how realistic should I be feeling that this all is, uh, and, thank you. Oh. I don't know. I'm one of those guys that kind of, uh, kind of sees or kind of encounters like really funny situations, you know, um, the unusual things in life. So, you know, if you have something that's kind of absurd like this book, you know, it's kind of bizarre. I think that's rather realistic. 
<laughs> yes, truth is stranger than fiction. So, um, <laughs> the idea of the idea of these things might actually relate to some people. I don't have that crazy of a life, but, um, you know what? Thank you very much for coming on and explaining the system. And, uh, oh, yeah. hey, thanks for, thanks for accepting, uh, the Leonard Nimoy, uh, invitation there. <laughs> But, I don't, all right, in the, in the Muppet Show, you know, when Leonard Nimoy would stick his head over a stall and say, oh, you need a guest? So, yeah, that's kind of how I joined up this guy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess that's one way of putting it. I mean, I don't picture uh, bathroom stalls and Leonard Nimoy when you just ask nicely to come on. But... Oh, yeah, that's true. All right, yeah, I guess I was just trying to make it funny. In your warped, Still, in, I'm, your warped world of uh, of how reality works, this is... This is what I will now picture is going on in your mind. Um, oh yeah. No, but uh yeah, it's mostly references. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to suggest people uh you know, I'm going to probably get your email address yet and I can put it in the show notes and um hopefully people yeah, can sure. reach out to you if they want to know something more or or anything like that. And it seems like you got some pretty good advice. I mean, you did it. You have I don't know how successful you are, but I hope you have uh, at least some success. And um, oh yeah, well hey, I, I got it, I uh, printed it, and um, yeah, I don't know. I think I've moved about uh, fifty copies. You know, enough for uh, enough for two paychecks. Um, but really, it's uh, being able to get here and all the people that have helped me. I uh, think has been the biggest accomplishment. Well, and what I love is that. Uh, when you, when you do finally put out the product, it's out there and anything you do in the future, it will remain there for, let's say you created another one, you know, people oh, yeah. might, might be interested in going back to the first. And so it just stays there and can keep doing something for you. If you decide to do a big promotion somewhere, suddenly you get another wave of sales. I mean, that's the whole beauty of it. Oh yeah. 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 But, uh, yeah, I'd love to answer any questions anybody's got to shoot at me. Even if I don't have the answers, I'll say something. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, uh, I think that's about it. And, and um, you know, we'll wrap it up, and I'll see you back on the design Discord and pretty oh, soon. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, I don't know really quite what that red and green thing stands for, though. <laughs> the red and green. Sorry, uh, sorry. That, that, that's, uh, that's outside of the interview, I guess. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that that's changed already. So, uh, <laughs> anyway, thanks. Thanks again uh, for sorry, coming uh, on, Everett. Uh, before we close, uh, I'd like to talk about my primary motivation for making, uh, oh. you know, uh, RP. You, know? you know what? You know, um, yeah, let's finish I think with that. It makes I, I think it makes everything a bit of sense, or I think it'll make everything a bit of sense. Um, you know, uh, I, uh, I used to work with, uh, the mentally infirmed, you know, um, and, uh, it was kind of a, it was a swing shift and, you know, uh, I was able to see some friends at a pizzeria and they were playing riffs and, you know, uh, the first day is like, yeah, they don't want me there, you know, but then, uh, the second, the, the, then I came back the next day or the next, that time next week and joined them and, um, it really kind of got me out of, I was really kind of getting depressed and anxious. And, you know, um, that's kind of why I wanted to make my own RPGs. Cause I want something cheap and affordable to kind of help people, uh, that were kind of 
they're having the anxiety issues and stuff like that and uh, try to help them have fun, you know, uh, through tabletop gaming. And surprisingly, I'm not the only person that thinks of that. that uh, you encounter a few people like that. So, you know, I kind of want to help people have fun. It's uh, actually the motto of my company. You know, the first rule is to have fun. That's the, So, yeah, that is why I made the RPG. And that I think that kind of comes across in the book as well, is that everything here is designed to be fun. Yeah. You know, I, yeah, we've had, uh, we've had that, that discussion and, uh, and definitely, I mean, I think there's, there's many dimensions to what RPGs have to offer. Not only the fun and, and stress relief and social aspect to it, but there's a, you know, if you get serious enough into it, it can become almost a transformative, uh, experience. Um, you get into your, get into your yeah, character enough. And, few, uh, yeah, I've seen a few panels like that. Or at these uh, conventions and stuff. So, yeah, maybe we should all get together sometime and do a do a big podcast on that. Yeah, therapy, uh, therapy, and RPGs. Yeah, that could be a roundtable. We've had roundtables before. Had a bunch of people on and discuss the topic. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, thank you. Thank you for the, the the motivation there, and you know, support. Hey, thanks. Uh, thanks for letting me uh, talk about my stuff. All right. Well, that's it for today. Then we'll, we'll see you again next time. If you, you know, and actually, if you have something else, you make another, uh, big supplement or another edition or a whole new RPG, you know, come back on and we'll do another one. Oh, you bet. <laughs> yeah, sure. Actually, I'm working on one right now. Uh, and that's a side project. It's, uh, going to be a card game about racing. I saw that Ford versus Ferrari and I'm like, Hey, that was cool. <laughs> Nice. Um, I would like to hear about that as well. So, uh, yeah, all right. Sure. All right. We'll take care okay. and, uh, we'll see you back on the Discord. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, man.